Hey everybody, this is Chris McCabe. Welcome back to Seller Performance Solutions Podcast with Lee McHugh and Gary Huang, who I met, I believe in 2016. So we've known each other six or seven years. I guess we would say you're most recently known for the Seven Figure Seller Mastermind that's coming up in Japan pretty soon now, about a month and a half away. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. We have a brand new event. It's the first ever Amazon conference in Japan for Amazon sellers and seven figure seller Japan mastermind in Tokyo, April 4th to the 5th. So very excited about that. And thanks for having me on yeah. the show, guys. Oh, of course. And Lee and I are going to be there, of course, in Tokyo. So we're mm-hmm. pumped about it too. Maybe taking a step back from that, how did you get started in e-commerce, but also the Amazon space? I got started in e-com a long time ago. I'm not going to give you the, my life story, but <laughs> basically I started off Two minutes. eBay 2005. Yeah. Oh, wow. 2005 okay. on eBay selling eBay. women's shoes, women's shoes. So for those of you that remember that they come um, in the 90s, married with children, I was kind of like the online Al Bundy. I was <laughs> women's shoes online on eBay, but they weren't fancy Jimmy Choo yeah. shoes. They were just like imported from China, these kind of quirky Mary Jane's and they're like, you know, this like niche culture of like rockabilly and people that love like polka dots. So that's how I got started. They were imported from China. I knew a local wholesaler. I was based in LA at the time, my hometown. So that's how I got started at e-com. Back then eBay was the biggest player, kind of like Amazon today. Mm-hmm. Our FBA did not exist at that time. We had a very small warehouse I was sharing with my mom. She's in the fashion industry. So I would self-fulfilling, oh, cool. pick and pack. Yeah, we had a deeper printer. We were driving to the post office. I was driving myself. I said, uh-huh. I had like a high school student. I made a couple hours like every two days. She would help me like pack the shoes and I would drive off to the post office. I thought it was pretty cool. I had my little business. <laughs> so that's how I got started. And, um, I did okay. that for about three years. And then 2008 came up and I made to Shanghai. But the U.S. economy was suffering with financial crisis, as everybody remembers. And China, it was like the rising star facing Olympics and stuff. So I made a move and I found a job in the corporate world working in supply chain. So I worked for a small consulting firm handling sourcing. So I was the point person for my foreign clients. Literally, I visited hundreds of Chinese factories, like from like the big fancy ones to like the really mm-hmm. scary ones that may have some like health code violations. Put the e-commerce business on hold at a time because it was very difficult to fulfill without myself being there. You know, I'm also fluent in Mandarin Chinese. And my family is from China originally. I was born in the States and I majored in Chinese. It was kind of like my superpower. So I use Chinese a lot. I handled multi-million dollar sourcing campaigns to find really like yeah. many, many different industries. So got a lot of experience. That's chapter two, chapter three. I started listening to podcasts in like 15, 2015, 16. And then I started getting back into am to e-commerce. I figured I'm on the ground in China. I hop on the train to go to Yiwu or Shenzhen, what I go mm-hmm. to the factories. I know this. So uh, I built a Amazon private label business with a partner, a watch band category. So we created a private label brand in that. So we built a six-figure business within like less than a year. So that's how I kind of got back into Amazon at that time. That's okay. three. So I have a question on that. When yes. you started selling on Amazon, yes. because most of what we're talking about today is going to be about expanding yeah. in international marketplaces. Yeah. You were on .com or you started with that and then you went into the UK and then you tried Europe. How did you look at, you know, I'm starting in USA or were you not even yeah. thinking in those terms? Yeah. 
I launched a number of private label brands. Yes. What's the plan? I mean, that's what I was doing. So I started at .com and I, I went over to Europe, went over to UK, Germany. Right. Had some success there and also the smaller markets. That was and before you, all of the extensive VAT requirements right. that we see now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, you expanded within like a year or how aggressive were you with it? I expanded probably around, I want to say... 2017, so about a year, year and a half to two years. And then I would always go to these e-commerce conferences at the time. I was based in Shanghai at the time. So I lived in Shanghai for 11 years, met my wife there. My son was born there and I would always go to conferences. That's where we, we met Chris in Hong Kong at the Global Sources Conference. Back then I was talking to, to brand owners a lot about when is it smart to expand internationally? Will Amazon support brands that are being aggressive about it. That conversation's changed a ton since 2017, but it did lead us to conversations about which are the best marketplaces to expand to in terms of Amazon's regional marketplaces. So that conversation usually leads people to UK or Germany, or of course, Japan, right? Japan was sort of the unsung marketplace for some of our US-based clients for a while. But I think people started to understand how big the marketplace was there, how much opportunity was there. And that was something that even got you and I talking about the mastermind that you're putting on there. So maybe we can talk a little bit about just how Japan differs from other regional marketplaces where some sellers might have had success, like say UK, and why some opportunities there may have been missed up to this point. Yeah, I feel Japan is very underrated because it's the fourth biggest marketplace you know, behind US, UK, and Germany, but almost nobody is talking about it. I think people are intimidated by Japan, the language barrier and barriers, but I think some people would be surprised that, I mean, there are barriers, but you can totally do it without knowing Japanese. I still don't speak Japanese very well and I am selling in Japan. And there are also certain advantages that it's actually, it may be easier and more cost-effective to sell your product in Japan than a UK and Germany. So I do think it's a good opportunity. So. You and Leah work on the compliance side a lot. I thought we could talk about compliance a bit because I know that'll yeah, be served definitely. well at the Seven Figures Teller Mastermind in Tokyo. So I'm talking about compliance, the opportunity is definitely there. It's the fourth biggest market, yet there's a lot lower level of company compared to UK and Germany, and even compared to some of like the smaller markets, like Italy, there's more sellers in Italy and Spain than in Japan. And they're like mm -hmm. a fraction of the size of that. And people forget Japan is the third biggest economy in the world. Right. I mean, yeah. Like people are kind of sleeping on Japan, right? <laughs> and Amazon is the number one most popular e-commerce shopping platform in Japan. So actually when I moved into our new apartment, we had to furnish the whole thing. I was asking the realtor, where should we, I buy my stuff? Which shop should I go to? He's like, just go to Amazon. You know? So people may be surprised. I mean, Amazon has overtaken Rakuten. Rakuten was the former number one platform. So Amazon is the biggest platform in Japan. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity. But talking, going back to compliance, there are so many important differences if sellers want to sell into Japan. Probably number one is importing. Um, to legally import into Japan, you cannot just use a U.S. LLC as the import of record, like what you could do with some other country. In Japan, you would need a Japanese registered address. So whether that's an importer of record that's based in Japan, 
or an individual based in Japan. Japanese government wants to have some form of accountability in Japan if something happened, right? Mm-hmm. That's number one. That's one of the, the big parts for Japan. After that, number two is product compliance because Japan's compliance laws and regulations are different from other countries. So for example, even if you're selling a water bottle, Japan has like any product that touches food, basically, you would need compliance testing for that. And there are different types of compliance tests that are required. And I think one other thing that surprised me is you cannot just take any compliance test certificate and apply it for Japan. Japan actually has their own approved laboratory. And so it cannot just be like an SPS. It has to be their pre-approved laboratory from XYZ agency based like in Hong Kong or based in Tokyo, for example. So you really have oh, to wow. work with someone that's familiar with the compliance laws in Japan to be able to legally import to Japan. Otherwise, you know, there's nightmare stories of products getting stuck at customs and there's the fines and you have right. to find a place to put it if it is rejected, et cetera. So that's why it's very important to pay attention to these Japanese compliance regulations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's maybe something that a lot of sellers in other countries aren't necessarily used to dealing with. Even in regulated spaces, Amazon doesn't always preemptively ask for that information before it gets right. to them. So a lot of times they've been selling it for years and didn't even know that there were compliance regulations for their products. So in terms of the first yeah. step that you think sellers should make when they're thinking about expanding in Japan, what, what do you think the first step should be? I think if they're brand registered, they can get started to apply the brand registry, you can move it to Japan mm-hmm. where you have all of the protections. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are like kind of unscrupulous sellers that are like selling your product in Japan without you knowing it, yep. they're drop shipping it, and they're selling it for like four times the retail price, right? Mm-hmm. That way, once you have brand registry, you can knock those guys off. I think that would be the first step. And then as you're moving your products to Japan, obviously make sure, you know, product research, there are excellent tools out there to verify the demands verify the competition. Competition on the whole is a lot lower, but you have to be careful with the, the demand because Japanese consumers are a little mm-hmm. different, but you the school, helium can work for Japan. So definitely use the school for that. Uh, and then also one of the, the big things, the big advantages going to Japan, a lot of people are not aware of this, is that the review threshold in Japan is actually a lot lower than in Europe and other countries. That means right. that you can move your product into a Japanese market, you can carry over those. So even if you mm-hmm. have just like a couple hundred, you could become one of the top sellers in terms of the review count from day one. A lot of sellers are not aware of that. So that gives you a huge advantage. You have the reviews, you have the social proof. Mm-hmm. Japanese shoppers, I find they pay more attention to the number of reviews, not just necessarily the score. That's a great point. Clients of ours and others love to talk about reviews, but Maybe you can get started and ramp up quickly if you haven't sold in Japan before. Maybe you can jump in and sort of make a splash and get a handful of reviews yeah. that will be meaningful for your sales rank without eons of time passing first, yeah. right? I mean, you, you carry over those reviews. And like in the past, there's a phenomenon where you carry over like those 500 reviews from the U.S. to the foreign market. But once you get the first review in the foreign market, all the reviews go away. That's mm-hmm. not the case anymore. Right. You still keep those 500 reviews and you just add on to that. And then... <laughs> One other benefit, I'm sure a lot of people will be happy to hear that, is that the PPC costs in Japan are lower than US, than UK, than Germany, than the European markets. So that will be an advantage 
as yeah. well. PPC expense, that that's probably the number one or number two expense, you know, after your product costs, your inventory costs, right? Mm-hmm. You will have to add advantage. And so, then yeah, how are you are, handling yeah. localization and the language difference? Because I think that is probably the barrier that most sellers yeah. think of when they think about expanding into Japan. Yeah, definitely do not use Google Translate. <laughs> definitely hire an agency that can do the translation or the localization. I mean, there's great ones out there like YLT. Yana runs a great agency. They have native Japanese speakers. You know, she's helped us with that. Well, not just that, like localization, Japanese consumers look at product listings differently. They may look further in detail. So with the images as well, make sure that the images have Japanese on them. But yeah, definitely hire. Don't just, uh, don't just Google Translate. What types of sellers do you think the sellers coming to the seven-figure seller mastermind in April are going to be mostly people who have already established themselves, mostly Western sellers who have already established themselves in Japan, or will there be kind of a mix of people who are thinking about doing it and just want to stick a toe in the pool or some mixture of the two? And then maybe after that, we can talk about the different speakers you've got. Yeah. So coming to the event, we do have seven figure sellers already selling US, already selling in the European marketplace, looking to expand their brands into a brand new market. I think this is one of the best ways to scale your business because we're going kind of into a blue ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Just competing with like the million plus sellers in the US, right? There's only about in Japan last time we checked, I think about 70,000 sellers compared okay. to one point, I think 2 million. So right. It can be a very blue ocean opportunity. Um, and our goal is to help sellers make an additional, like let's say 300K to, uh, you know, or the 900K in Japan revenue, that's our goal. So if we do have, you know, successful SKUs, like all the challenges, you know, at the conference, we'll have import of records, we'll have product localization experts, we'll have compliance testing experts. So, you know, basically any question you have, someone in the room to help you. Right? So you don't have to like scour the internet. I think all of the, like the top people we think we can help sellers. And I know Ritu Java is going to be there, right? Yes, um, yes. Ritu Java, you know, she's actually lived in Japan for 17 years. She has Japanese permanent residency. So she okay. helped me with my Japanese listing. She has a wealth of knowledge in Japan. Not many people are aware of that. And then she's one of the top speakers in the world. She just won, I think, the favorite speaker award at one of the events recently. She's going to be speaking about important topic, Amazon, Japan, SEO, and PPC best practices. We may even get her to talk a little bit about ChatGPT and how you can use it. And we also, we have um, you know, Amazon is coming, Amazon ads, have eight-figure Amazon Japan sellers, seven-figure Amazon Japan sellers. But I think there's going to be a very strong uh, you know, lineup of speakers. I think this will be one of the best events you know, this year, regardless of Japan. Obviously, I'm biased, but... Uh, but a lot of time it's not. Princeton's got to be here as well, you know, for brand protection, specific to Japan. So you got to play defense as well, right? So obviously defense is very important. For sure. We're going to be talking about brand protection, brand abuse, and reporting things to the right teams. And of course, if you're reporting things through proper channels in Japan and it's not getting anywhere, how to escalate and surface those things elsewhere within the Amazon ecosystem to make sure they get the proper attention and review and get fixed. So healthy selling for sure. I'm really looking forward to this. Any last thoughts before we close on what you want people to know who are kind of on the fence about going to Japan? It's Tokyo, April 4th and 5th. It's cherry blossom season. We can talk about that for a moment. 
Yeah, yeah. This time of year will be the best time to visit. As Chris and Leah knows, it's the famous cherry blossom season. People, like tourists, actually come to Japan this time of year just to see the cherry blossom. Mm-hmm. He wanted all of the attendees to be able to enjoy this, this time of year. So the evening of day one, April 4th, we're going to have a networking social in a local Tokyo park underneath the cherry blossom tree. So we're going to lay out a spread with some Japanese like sake, beer, sushi, bento boxes, and network with other sellers, you know, the speaker, like Chris and some of the other guys. So we really wanted to create this one of a kind Japan experience. You cannot get anywhere else in the world. So I think that is big. And the other thing is, I think just choosing the right marketplace for sellers, I think that could be as important or even more important than choosing the right product, right? Because expanding to Japan, you're not really risking a new product. You already have the supply chain, you have the manufacturing, you have the proven listing, right? You're just moving it to a new marketplace. I mean, obviously there are challenges and obstacles, but if you're able to overcome these challenges, these challenges are becoming like a moat around your business because all the other sellers are intimidated. They will be left out outside and you guys will be inside. That's a great point. Once you climb that wall, you're on the other side of it. Everyone else has to start at the bottom of that wall. Exactly. So we're going to be able to fast track this for you guys in two days in Tokyo, April 4th to the 5th at the Seven Figures Seller Japan Mastermind. So yeah, I'm super excited, guys. Yeah, yeah. me too. And we'll and include also, the link to the conference in the show notes as well. So anyone that wants to sign up can find that easily. And I would argue that anyone who can survive the challenge of dealing with or selling on Amazon anywhere in the world is strong enough and competent enough to deal with different potentially strange and unusual, but different marketplace like Amazon Japan. Any questions about that? Certainly reach out to Gary directly. Gary, the best place for them to reach you with questions about the event. Yes. It would be by email, gary at 8020sourcing.com. So gary at 8020sourcing.com. Sweet. All right. We'll include that at the bottom. Thanks again for talking to us today. We can't wait to see you in person. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris and Leah. Can't wait to see you guys here in Tokyo. Thanks, Gary.